Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Psalms, Psalm 23. I'm going to be reading from the New International Version. Let's all give careful attention to the public reading of God's word as it's found in Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters, he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to each of our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your word, which is truth, and has called us to engage in the study of that word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would sweeten this word in our hearts and minds, that together we might grow in our knowledge of you and ourselves and the world that you have made, that we might more enjoy the calling you have given to us, and that we might honor you more along the path of life. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, your Son and our Savior, who together reigns with you, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Be seated, please. Well, um, a little survey. How many of you go back to the environmental center? That's maybe a dozen plus. Uh, For those of you who don't know what that means, back in the day... Uh, before the uh, middle school with the shark on the wall, before that, uh, we met at the Environmental Center just straight across 512, is it? It was a beautiful location. You were up kind of on stilts. You were sitting up above the tree line, a wonderful place to worship. Um, But all good things come to an end. Okay, so now, how many of you remember... April of 2005 in the Environmental Center when I preached on Psalm 23. (laughs) That's okay. If I didn't have a record, I wouldn't either. Well, uh, not the same sermon as I preached some dozen years ago this morning. What's the main idea of Psalm 23? If we were just taking a general survey of people, and it's well known in our culture, and we just said, what's Psalm 23 about? What would people say? The Lord is, the Lord is my shepherd. That, that'd be the kind of the common understanding. It's interesting, however, that there are two dominant images for God in Psalm 23. In the first three verses, the Lord is our shepherd, but in the last two verses, the Lord is our host who invites us to a banquet. And in spite of the fact that there are two important images, we think of this as the shepherd psalm, not the host psalm, or not even the shepherd and the host psalm. What's the main idea of Psalm 23 that pulls these two images together, the Lord our shepherd and the Lord our host? Well, if you look in your bulletin at the title, 
You'll see the title for this sermon is, For You Are With Me. That's really the main point of David's psalm here. The main point is not that the Lord is our shepherd, not that the Lord is our host. The main point of this psalm is, For You Are With Me. Now, how do I know that? Well, because David told me. I didn't have a dream. He didn't come to me in some kind of spirit form. He told me through the vehicle of his poetry. We've seen in the past in a number of different sermons how ancient authors, ancient Hebrew poets like to count things. We saw this when we did a series on uh, Aaron's benediction. Turn, for example, to Psalm 11 for a moment. In Psalm 11, I can tell you what the main point of this psalm is. Look at the first part of verse 4. The Lord is in His holy temple. That's the main idea in this psalm. How do I know that? Well, Hebrew poetry is made up of lines, and part of a line is called a colon, and if we make it plural, it's a, they're cola, like phenomenon, phenomena. And so you can count the cola in a line. And if you start from the beginning and you count nine cola, you start from the end and you count back nine cola, precisely in the mathematical center of this poem is that line, the Lord is in his holy temple. In other words, poets counted and they put at times, this isn't true of every psalm, but at times they put the main idea right in the mathematical center. Psalm 11 is an example of that. It's the central colon. Go over to Psalm 92. Psalm 92. Go to verse 8. First of all, you'll just notice how short that verse is compared to all the other verses. It kind of stands out. And what does it say? But you, Lord, are forever exalted. That's the main point of this psalm. How do we know that? If we start with the first word and we count 52 words, we come to this line. If we start at the end and we count backward 52 words we come to this line. In other words, the poet has put at the mathematical center the main idea. Now, if if this only happened once, you might think it was kind of coincidental, even though Presbyterians don't believe in coincidence, do we? But it doesn't happen just once. Now, if we go to Psalm 23, in Psalm 23... We have that line, for you are with me. And once again, David has put this at the mathematical center of the poem. Not counting cola, as in 11, but counting words, as in 92. If we start at the beginning and we count 26 words, we come to this line, for you are with me. If we start at the end and count back 26 words, we come to this line, for you are with me. It's at the mathematical center. 
It's what brings these two beautiful images of God as shepherd and God as host together. Now, just to give you a little bit of confirmation that I'm not making this up. We've talked also before about how Hebrew words, Hebrew letters were used for numbers. And so every word has a numerical value. Every name has a numerical value. Well, the divine name is is made up of four. The divine name that we translate in English as Lord is made up of four letters. The first one is worth ten. Second one is worth five. The third one is worth six. And the fourth one is worth five. Who, who was following me out there? Ten, five, six, five. Twenty-six. How many words from the beginning to the middle on both ends? Twenty-six. It's not an accident. And you'll notice that the divine name only occurs twice in this poem. Once at the very beginning and once at the very end. You see, that reinforces the idea that the Lord is with you. The Lord's life surrounds your life like the Lord's name surrounds the poem. So the main point of this psalm is not that the Lord is our shepherd or that the Lord is our host. The main point is, you are with me. How do I know that? David told me, not in a dream but by putting that right at the mathematical center of his poem. And it's not the only place where this kind of thing happens in the Hebrew Bible. So as we're considering this, we could have a nice two-part sermon, right? The Lord is with you as your shepherd, verses 1 through 3. The Lord is with you as your host, verses 4 through 5. Be a good way to organize it, which means I'm going to do it a different way. I want you to notice one other thing about this poem. Look at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Or we could translate it as, I will lack nothing. Affirmation of faith. Look at uh, verse 4, right before the center. I will feel, fear no evil. And then look at the very end. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In this psalm, we have at the beginning, the middle, and the end, these three strong affirmations of faith. So we want to look at each one of them, especially as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper. So here's the flow of the sermon. Since you are with me, see, that's the big point. Since you are with me, I will lack nothing. Since you are with me, I will not fear. Since you are with me, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I, I almost want to say there's more than one way to skin up but, uh, but since my daughter has two of them, I'm not allowed to say that. <laughs> See, we could structure the, a sermon on this uh, text in a number of ways. And I want to structure it this morning around those three core affirmations of faith that are the logical consequence of that central line for you 
are with me. So let's look at the first one. I will not lack. And here we can look at those two images. In the first three verses, we look at that image of the Lord as shepherd. And since the Lord is our shepherd who is with us, uh, we will not lack the necessities of life. Uh, Notice what the psalmist says. Um, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now you have to imagine that you're a what? You're a sheep. So he's making you lie down in green pastures, and in those green pastures, you're going to get something to eat, food, one of the necessities of life. He leads me beside quiet waters where you're going to get something to drink, one of the necessities of life. Now, most of our translations say he leads me beside quiet waters. If we were translating that kind of woodenly, it would be he leads me beside waters of resting places. In other words, it's not so much that the water is quiet, it's that you are quiet. He leads you to rest, to food, to water, to rest, and rest is certainly one of the necessities of life. And as a result of getting this um, food, water, rest, your soul, your, not just your inner but your whole person is refreshed. He renews, he refreshes my soul. Necessities of life. Guidance. He guides me along right paths. Uh, You have to know where you're going. It's just one of the basic necessities of life. For his name's sake, purpose. One of the foundational necessities of life is to have a reason. Our culture is very good at knowing what to do and how to do it. We're kind of lost in knowing why we're doing what we're doing. What is the big purpose? We've lost sight of being created uh, for the glory of God and for His enjoyment. So you see, in those first three verses, we get the shepherd providing us with the necessities of life. But... Because he is who he is. He doesn't just provide us with necessities. He provides us with abundance. Uh, Notice as we go to to verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Uh, You have to think of something like a Thanksgiving banquet with all of the fixings, or Christmas dinner, or Easter dinner. This isn't your ordinary meal. This is a lavish, abundant table that He provides for you. Isn't God good? I mean, it's good enough that He provides us with the necessities. But He goes far beyond the necessities, and He provides us with this abundant table. He anoints our head with oil. Now, to us as moderns, that sounds kind of weird. We think of like somebody pouring Mazzola or Quaker State on us. It's just a a weird image. Closer to our culture would be Thanksgiving, and you have relatives who have driven four hours to get to your house for Thanksgiving. They get there just as you're going to sit down to eat because they're running a little bit late because of how heavy Thanksgiving traffic is. And you say to them, before you sit down, would you like to freshen up? Oil was what they used for freshening up. And so God anoints as the the wonderful host. He has this lavish table spread. 
He provides that, that freshening up oil. Because after all, as we go from one image to another, you've been traveling as a sheep for a long time. Now the image switches and you get to the host's house and you need to have that refreshment. As I've said before, my cup is neither half full nor half empty. I'm biblical. My cup what? My cup overflows. So next time somebody says to you, are you one of those types that the cup is half full or half empty? You say, neither. I'm a Christian. My cup overflows. He doesn't just provide you with a cup. He provides you with a cup that overflows. You can't miss the abundance in the imagery of the host. No wonder the psalmist starts by saying, since you are with me, I will lack nothing. Now, if you're paying attention, there perhaps is a little bit of tension right now. Because you might hear this wonderful promise of necessities and this wonderful promise of abundance. And then you look at areas of your own life and you say, I don't see it. If you feel that, that's natural. That's part of this psalm. Remember, in big picture, there are three kinds of psalms. There are hymns when all is going well. There are laments when the bottom falls out. And then there are songs of thanksgiving when God puts our feet back on solid ground after the bottom has fallen out. There's actually another kind that is right in between the lament and the song of thanksgiving. It's a song of confidence. You still are in that trouble. You're not yet out. But you're starting to see light at the end of the tunnel. Did you notice that there still are enemies present in Psalm 23? So there, everything isn't perfect here in your life. There still are those enemies. There still is that darkest valley. There are these negative things. That's why this psalm is a psalm of confidence. See, it's not a psalm of thanksgiving. You're not looking back and saying, praise God because I was in trouble and he got me out. It's a psalm of confidence where you say, there are things in my life that are not right, but I am confident that because you are with me, I will at some point in the future not lack anything at all. My cup will overflow. You see, the life that we live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. See, that's why the the laments are kind of easy to sing. You feel terrible and the words are terrible. The songs of thanksgiving are easy to sing. You feel great and the words are great. The songs of confidence are the hardest to sing because you don't feel so great, but the words are really, really great. I lack nothing. Really? There's a disconnect between your experience And what you're singing. And that's why these are affirmations of faith. Not only for this life, but ultimately for the life to come. I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. I can't tell you that tomorrow, that place where you feel your cup is empty, it will be overflowing. But I can tell you with 100% certainty that the day will come 
either in this life or the life to come, when your cup will overflow in ways that you cannot now even imagine. Why? Because God's word says it, and we believe it. I will not lack. The second affirmation of faith right near the center, I will not fear. Now, the Psalm 23 is hard to tinker with. The NIV that I'm reading, the 2011, it's done a little tinkering. You might have noticed that. Uh, You might have noticed that we weren't uh, being guided on paths of righteousness anymore. We were being guided on just the right path. Tinkering sometimes is good, even though it goes against the grain of a well-beloved psalm. Probably most of us in this room, myself included, memorize this in the language of the king, and that language still comes back to us. But why does the NIV say um, just the right path? Well, because that's what it means, really. You have to stay in the metaphor, remember. What are we in this, in this psalm? We're sheep. Do sheep sin? Do sheep walk in either paths of wickedness or paths of righteousness? No, they don't. They don't need to be guided in paths of righteousness where they're going to be making the right moral choices. That's not the nature of a sheep. And in this, we're sheep here. What do we need to be guided on? We need to be guided on just the right path. In particular, uh, the later, see, Israel, like uh, California, has a completely dry season and a rainy season. And the further we go on as sheep in the dry season, the more the shepherd has to lead us on just the right path to higher ground where we will get the food and the water and the refreshment and the rest, where we'll get all of those necessities of life. Well, given ancient Israel's topography to go from the low ground to the high ground, often that means going through the valley. And the NIV translates this not as the valley of the shadow of death, but the darkest valley. And once again, they're tinkering, but in my estimation, they're right. See, the valley of the shadow of death presumes Hebrews kind of like German. Anybody here know any German? I used to know more than I do now. But German is a language that just loves to take two words and put them together to make another word. Kind of like groundhog is a groundhog. Um, Hebrew doesn't do that. And the translation, uh, the uh, valley of the shadow of death, presumes we have two words stuck together to make up a word. Uh, This word really just means a dark, dark valley. Now, I'm not taking anything away from the traditional understanding, because what is certainly one of the darkest valleys that we walk through? It's the valley of death. And plenty of you here have walked through that valley, haven't you? Whether it was a parent or a child or a best friend or a sibling, a grandparent that we loved, we know what that dark, dark valley, the valley of the shadow of death, is like. The only thing I'm saying here is that That David is referring to something far broader. He includes that valley. But he includes every other kind of dark valley that you can walk through. 
uh, a divorce, a, a loss of job, a loss of health, a loss of a friend, a spiritual crisis, doubt. There are so many kinds of dark valleys that we can walk through. Far before we ever get to that dark valley, the valley of the shadow of death. And why don't we fear in that darkest of valleys? For you are with me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. See, this is a marvelous psalm. It's a challenging psalm. To be honest, I don't like those dark valleys. Uh, I'm not one who prays, God, send me through a dark valley because I know it's going to be so good for my sanctification. I don't pray that for me. I don't pray that for you. In all honesty, I like the green pastures and the still waters. That's what I like. That's what I enjoy. That's what I pray for. But sometimes, just the right path in God's wisdom is not that one, but it takes us through the valley of the shadow of death, the darkest valley. And in those moments, we have to trust Him. We can't see where this valley is taking us, but we do know you are with me. I would rather be in the green pastures than in the darkest valley. But what this psalm is saying is that more important than where you are is who is with you. Because if you are in those green pastures and God is not with you, trust me, they are not really green. And if you're in that darkest valley and God is with you, We either read it or confessed it or sang it. Even in darkness, light shines. With God, there is no darkness. God is light. And in those darkest moments, it's not so important how dark it is. What's really important is that you can find by grace the faith to say, you are with me. Because that transforms that darkest valley when you know that central line of the poem, you are with me. And the final affirmation at the very end of the psalm, I will dwell. Now the meaning in terms of the Old Testament, this poem, remember there were three really big annual feasts that that all males had to appear in Jerusalem before God once a year. There was the, uh, the Feast of Passover, which is fulfilled in the Lord's Supper. There was then the Feast of Weeks, which is fulfilled in Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then there's the one at the very end of the year. There's the Feast of Tabernacles, which hasn't yet been fulfilled. It's the eschatological feast at the end. It's awaiting fulfillment in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this psalm was written, I don't have time to tell you why, but this psalm, you've got to walk by faith anyhow, right? So on this one, just trust the preacher. 
This psalm was written for the Feast of Tabernacles. And what David is saying is that I will return to the Feast of Tabernacles, to the temple, to the house of God, year after year after year after year. And of course, that's anticipating uh, our ultimate uh, returning to the house of the Lord at that grand table, the biggest table of all tables, that marriage supper of the land, of the lamb at the very end. And um, the reason for this, surely your goodness and your mercy will pursue me. Now that, that's an interesting turn of phrase. Uh, we're, we're used to the word follow. Most of the time this word in Hebrew is really used for when bad people are following good people to overcome them and to harm them. So it kind of has this ominous note to it. But notice, it's not bad people who are following, pursuing you to overtake you, to harm you. It's God's goodness. It's God's mercy. You know, sometimes in those dark moments, the only thing that we can say is, Son of David, have mercy on me. And you can be assured that he will. Because he pledges to you that his goodness and his mercy will follow you all the days of your life. We know this is true because we believe the Bible and it says it. We know that we will not lack, we will not fear, we will dwell, we will return to the house of the Lord. But, you know, sometimes are the weakness of our faith, we do need assurance, don't we? God gives us a double assurance this morning. How can you be sure that even though you may have to go through the darkest of valleys in order to get to those green pastures and still waters, how can you be sure that you will lack nothing, that you will fear nothing, that you will dwell in the house of the Lord. It's because Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd who has laid down his life for you as the sheep. In the language of Paul in Romans, God has already given you his very, very best in giving you his son. Do you think that he would now fail to give you any of these lesser things like food and water and rest and lack of fear? And It's impossible, says Paul. He's given you his best. How will he not also along with him graciously give you all things? Jesus is the good shepherd who has laid down his life for you. And so you can be assured that the teaching of Psalm 23 is true. The Lord is with you. But not only that, you can also be assured because Jesus is not only the shepherd, Jesus is the host. Jesus is the host who spreads a table before you 
that is far more luxuriant than the finest Thanksgiving you've ever experienced. Of course, you've got to take that by faith, right? Because you're only getting a small wafer. You're not getting mashed potatoes and corn and turkey and all that other stuff, cranberry sauce. You're only getting a small cup of wine, not a goblet. But you see, by faith, this is the real meal. This is the meal that makes all of those other meals significant. Without this meal, all of those lavish Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter meals don't mean anything. But in the context of this meal, they mean everything. Because they're all part of the good life that the good shepherd has died for, and that the good host has spread a table for. You see, are there those dark spots in your life? I'm sure there are one way or another. Do you need assurance? Your host is so good that he wants you to, he wants you to taste it this morning. He doesn't want you just to hear you can be sure He wants you to taste it and to feel it and to smell it. That's how good the shepherd is. He wants to nourish your souls. I'm sure you've been to a a banquet at some point, and you know, sometimes you get there and it might be a half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour before they serve the meal, and you're hungry. Aren't you at that point, when you're really hungry and the meal's an hour away, aren't you ever so thankful that they serve appetizers? They're small, aren't they? But they really serve a big role, don't they? And they are an... When the appetizers are good, they're an indicator that the meal that is coming is going to be good. Just think this morning of the Lord's Supper as an appetizer. It's an appetizer by which he assures your soul that his goodness and his mercy is going to follow you all the days of your life until you experience in all absolute perfection No lack, no fear, dwelling in the house of the Lord. And why is it all possible? Just remember the number 26. For you are with me. Let's pray.